Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 166, our best and worst of Kickstarter. We'd like to thank our brand new Patreon backer, Zoe, at the producer level. You rock. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, are you getting hyped for adventures? Yeah, yeah. We were just talking about this before the show, and I know everybody's out there like, oh, it didn't sound very hyped. Um, (laughs) I try to get hyped, man. I I have a hard time getting hyped for any movie because I get to see them so rarely. Like, as a a parent, as a father, (laughs) I never really get out of the house uh, to see a movie right when it comes out. So I tend to only, I reserve it for the movies in which I cannot be spoiled. So Star Wars, right? And that's about it. Uh, And then occasionally if we're on a date night, whatever happens to be in the theater. But... About a week ago, the bug caught on, and, and now I'm excited, and I'm going to go, even if it's by myself, I'm excited. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I've been kind of, like, going back through, watching some of the old stuff, tracking down in a, a game we're actually going to talk about later in the Acquisition Disorders that just came out, that just to get that Avengers hype going. Yeah, it's it's a good time, and it's been good movies, and especially when it comes to, you know, superhero theming, we've seen a lot of that board games, so... It's nice to have a good movie. Maybe eventually we'll have a good board game based upon that. But I think about you'll talk about that in a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah, I got something to talk about there. But before we get into that, we want to let everybody know about what's going on with BGA. Now, we've talked about, and hopefully you've seen on Facebook and Twitter, we're having our board game giveaway contest, and we want everyone to be a part of it. So jump on to our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash BGA. Join the BGA team at the producer level, and not only will you have an opportunity to win a board game, but also you'll have access to our Patreon back special episodes. There's already a little bit of a catalog there. We're gonna be producing a new one pretty soon. And you'll also have access to our Slack channel where we go there and Anthony and I ask questions and try to figure out what you wanna see on future episodes. So whether it's getting that specific episode you want as a Patreon backed episode, or stuff you like to hear on the upcoming episodes, now is the best time to jump on. All right, so that's going on, but let's go on with everybody else. What's going on with you? Anthony, what's our question of the week? The episode this week is we're going to be talking about our best and worst from Kickstarter. So I figured this is should be an easy one to get answers from people on. Uh, <laughs> we're all complaining about it all the time. And biggest wins and biggest fails in backing Kickstarter projects for people. So got a lot of good answers here. We'll go through a few of them. Matt talks about his two biggest wins were Millennium Blades, you know, in his the best product of a Kickstarter so far, and Dale of Merchants, one of the best run Kickstarter campaigns so far. Rodney mentions Scythe, Clockwork Wars, and Feudum as three of his favorite games. Graham mentions Dinosaur Island. Uh, Jeremy mentions Seventh Continent. Some other successes here we have Rivet Wars, um, Incursion, Coliseum, Maydays, Crokinole, Kickstarter from a couple years back, The Gallerist, lots of good stuff. As for the fails, this is the fun stuff, right? 
Uh, Matt mentions fantasy baseball. He he said he backed it because of J.R. Honeycutt's involvement, as he's an excellent individual. But the campaign has had minimal communication once completed. It's late, and then the components were not really up to snuff as expected, and the game fell a little bit flat. So kind of like the trifecta of things that people complain about in Kickstarters. Rodney mentioned Tracker, Lord of the Dead, and Endangered Orphans. So some games he kind of avoided there. Well, Dream Wars is a game that he did back and did not enjoy and he even got his money refunded which is impressive <laughs> i don't think i've gone that far gary mentioned apocrypha david mentions robotech tactics oh yeah which is a bit of a nightmare <laughs> dystopian wars all quiet on the martian front it's funny because you mentioned the good ones and you're know, like oh i've heard of all these you know these are good games you mentioned the bad ones you're like i haven't heard of most of these for good reason it sounds like yeah there's been a lot of problems with kickstarter especially when it initially started as far as board gaming popping up there there was a lot of challenges, especially lack of communication. Things have gotten better, but every once in a while there is a game that just kind of bottoms out and just kind of ruins things for the rest of us. Yeah, it's funny, you know, like you have some really ambitious stuff that just kind of fizzles and then sometimes you have really ambitious stuff that explodes sure. and it's from one guy who apparently doesn't sleep for <laughs> three years while he's making a game, you know. It's, uh, it's an impressive platform and I guess... The fact that board gaming is driving that platform right now is is a big part of it. Sure. And sometimes as board gamers, you do it for as much as the ride as anything else, watching those stretch goals unlock and hopefully being part of something that will bring a brand new board game out into the industry that typically won't have a chance to get there. But more and more these days, it's just allowing designers to get their own game out to backers without having to go through stores and online services. All right, so that's everything for our question of the week. Now let's get on to our acquisition disorder. So Anthony, what are you looking forward to get, whether it's on Kickstarter or not? This one's not on Kickstarter. What? It's, it's I know. It's a Kickstarter <laughs> episode, man. You're ruining it. No, it's like every every week it's a Kickstarter. This, this week it's not. <laughs> Going against the grain. That's, that's how I roll, man. Um, it is the Avengers, though. I did talk about the Avengers earlier, and uh, this new game is just recently launched from USAopoly, and designer Andrew Wolf, who designed the Harry Potter Hogwarts deck-building game, so that's good good pedigree there. It's called Thanos Rising Avengers Infinity War. So I actually <laughs> saw a sign for this in my local game store like a month ago. Um, they'd sent them posters or something, and I was immediately like, ugh, you know? <laughs> it just, the sure. name is bad. And you just, you know, it's a movie tie-in, right? It's a movie tie-in, right? So you just assume it's not going to be any good. But I found out the designer is somebody who's made a game I like. And USAopoly's been doing decent things with IPs lately. So give it a shot, right? I have actually had a chance to play this a little bit. Not enough to review it just because it's a co-op and, you know, the different difficulty levels and everything. But it's a fairly, I'm not going to say clever, but it works well in terms of like a dice building you know you're building a tableau of characters and rolling dice based on the characters you have and taking actions the goal is you're trying to defeat 10 villains from this deck before one of three other things happens and the ways you lose are thanos gets all of the infinity gems so obviously he kills 10 heroes or he wipes out one team so one care one player loses and it's an interesting mechanic because you have Thanos himself in the middle of this board and he turns it's this giant miniature it's like six inches tall and he sits in the middle and he turns between these three different areas and there's three cards in each of those areas some of the cards are heroes most of the cards are heroes some of the cards are villains five like or I guess six basic villains 
and then the four um, kind of lieutenants from the, from the from the upcoming movie, and all this stuff is taken from the upcoming movie, with the exception of a couple of characters. It's all screenshots and photos that have been stylized a little bit from the movie. I think they don't have likeness rights for everybody, so some of them are blacked out or colored over, but most of it's there. And there's a couple of light spoilers in here that aren't really spoilers if you've seen the trailers, but if you've seen nothing and you're avoiding it completely, don't play the game until after uh, you've seen the movie, because there's a couple things in there that I could see people being upset about if they knew nothing. But the, the game is fairly simple, though. You take dice, you roll them based on the characters you have in front of you, you then assign them to different cards. So each character that your, your hero you're trying to recruit has a certain number of symbols on them you need to match up, and each enemy has a certain number of symbols on them you have to match up. If you get all the symbols on a hero, you get to take them into your tableau and use them in the future. They have special abilities. And if you successfully hit an enemy, you put a cube on them and take a bonus tile that allows you to do something extra later. Ta-da! That's it. Um, Thanos, on the other hand, gets to hit everybody he's facing every round, plus he's bringing out um, cubes onto the infinity gems. And it's kind of like pandemic-y and that if you get enough cubes on there i think it's five it'll break and then you'll flip that over he now has that gem um, you move the gem onto the gauntlet which is a pretty cool piece of cardboard that for some reason has cut out spaces for gems and then he has an extra ability now so he gets a little bit harder as he goes along i played it on easy mode we won pretty straightforward but i because i was intrigued i was like well let's keep going and see if we could have beaten the next level up and we would not have. So <laughs> it's it seems to be tuned relatively well difficulty wise. So I wasn't I was pleasantly surprised. The the game store owner here, he said, Oh, it's kinda like Yahtzee with Avengers, and I was like, Ugh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> and it's a little bit like that. You're rolling dice, you assign a die, you roll the rest of your dice, you assign a die, you roll the rest of your dice, you know, Yahtzee style. But there are special abilities, there's you know, combos, there's different types of dice and you can choose from based on your characters you have out. You're trying to keep characters alive while also attacking the enemies so that you, you know, offset them. There's certain ways that you can take cubes away from the infinity gems before he gets them. So there's a lot of that kind of balance that you're trying to do, like in any good co-op, like in Pandemic, where you have an ultimate goal, but if that's all you go for, you're going to lose. So I thought it was pretty interesting for a movie tie-in released the week before a big movie release. I was pleasantly surprised. I'm going to keep playing it, I think, and see what I think at higher levels because it's uh, better than I expected. And if you're a big, big Adventures fan, you might like this a little bit better, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that's Thanos Rising. That's my acquisition story. I know it sounded a little bit like a review, but like I said, I haven't played it in full. So I'll come back in a few weeks and let you know <laughs> once I've played it more. So is there any chance that this game is actually a spoiler for the movie and Thanos is going to challenge the Avengers to a game of Yahtzee? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. No, it's yeah. <laughs> it's, if, if they mess up their die rolls too many times, he gets that last gem. So well, yeah, I, yeah. see where that soul stone comes from. I don't know. <laughs> that's what it is. It's in a casino, right? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> wow, they should say spoilers before they do games like that. I don't I know. know, right? Yeah, it's like I'm digging through all the cards and I'm like, oh, there's no spoilers in here. I just want to make sure. And then there was like one or two cards in particular. I was like, I guess. And they're only releasing it the week before, so not the end of the world. But again, I could see someone being like, oh, come on. Yeah, I think this was originally supposed to have more time between the movie and the game, but they moved the movie up, which kind of cut down on things. So. I guess if you don't want to get 100% spoiled or if you haven't read the comic books or watched the trailers, but I don't know why you would have done that. But 
I guess it's out there. So maybe right after the movie, you can play this yeah, game. Yeah, and I've heard rumors too, or seen posts on BGG that they're going to release a bunch of promos through various Ooh. channels later that would have been spoilers. So, ah, okay. so like additional characters or other things that maybe aren't in the game now, but can be added later once you've actually seen the movie. So I don't know how that's going nice. to work or exactly how it's going to happen, but that's what I've been reading. So I, that would be cool. I hope that's the case. Yeah. We'll be at the cons this summer. So if it is the case, I'll track them down. <laughs> yeah, no, I give them respect for that. I mean, that's that's really nice of them to uh, think about us. I told you this was going to happen someday. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I said it was going to happen and it happened. There you go. All right. Well, a game that I want to talk about is actually on Kickstarter, unlike some people. <laughs> and it's based on a game that was previously on Kickstarter. Now, the game that was previously on Kickstarter was The Spirit of the Rice Patty. Now, this was a game from Ape Games and our friend Philip DeBerry. And this game came out, and it was it had a little bit of a run. It, it backed on Kickstarter successfully. People enjoyed the game. It was about, you know, farming rice and filling up your rice patties, flooding them with water, and then, use you know, using some of the special spirits to gain special abilities that would help you with your production, force, you know, rats to other people's rice patties, as spirits tend to do, and help you weed because, you know, weeding when it comes to farming is the greatest villain of all time. But now there is Rice Dice, a Spirit of the Rice Patty dice game for one to five players. It's currently on Kickstarter, and it will go till Monday, April 30th. And basically what we're looking at here is, like generally most dice games, this is kind of like a, I, I guess you would say a shrunk down, shorter dice version of the longer and, from what I've heard, haven't played it myself, but a little more convoluted version, it's it's a really nice, light kind of filler game. And basically what you're going to be doing is you're going to be rolling five dice, and there's going to be a lot of symbols on there, including meeples, which means you have workers, there's going to be weeding, there's going to be water, and there's going to be kind of a random symbol, as well as a card symbol, because this game is very card-driven. You roll the dice, you pick one of the actions, and then you utilize that action to take care of the cards. Now, on the cards, you're going to have how much water this card's going to need. It's going to have how many rice patties are on there. And all the little kind of special abilities or challenges with that particular card in order to be successful. And then what you're able to do if you are successful is get a special ability with that card. Now, these cards are used to kind of line them up so that you'll be able to not just flood one patty with water but be able to go down the line and flood the other patties with water as well. So there's a little tactical decision-making as far as what cards you put back-to-back, -back and you'll be able to create multiple rows. But basically, running the water is the most important thing in this game, as well as harvesting the rice. And you know whoever's able to reach 100, as far as harvesting rice is concerned, wins the game. Now, this game plays between one to five players. But, you know, it's probably better at the higher player count since the game does play so fast. And there's a little bit of a take that mechanic where you can kind of mess with other players. There's not a lot of stretch goals here. It's basically a deck of cards, some dice, some nice wooden meeples. And that's pretty much it as far as the game's concerned. So if you've played the board game, you'll definitely like this dice game as long as you like the board game. And if you haven't played the board game or... As I've heard, maybe a little too heavy, a little too long for what it is. This Rice Dice game, a Spirits of the Rice Patty game for one to five players, might be perfect for you. Yeah, it seems interesting. I mean, I, I always liked the look 
of the original board game, but I just have never gotten a chance to play it because I don't think it existed anywhere outside of the Kickstarter. And I, I like to see the fact that this is just kind of shrinks down and maybe kind of is better for it. It's a little more concentrated as far as that's going. All right, so that's everything for acquisition disorders. Now on to at the table. So we are going to talk about two games that we recently got to the table and let you know if the game is a buy, you should run out and pick that up. The game's a play and you should sit down and play it. The game's a dodge and you should try another table. Or the game's a burn and it's not worth your time whatsoever. So, Anthony, what have you gotten to the table this week? Alrighty, so I'm going to talk about another cooperative game. What? Uh, I know. <laughs> Jason would kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Playing uh, a good cross-section of games, and one that I got to the table recently is Rising 5, Runes of Asteros, designed by Gary Kim and Evan Song, and I believe released by Gray Fox. This game had a little bit of buzz recently. I think it's been out in Europe for a little bit of time. And the reason why is that it's app-based. It's a cooperative game, kind of in the spirit of like a pandemic again, but a little more on the deduction side this time. And there's the reason you need the app. Now, the game comes with the stuff you need in the box to not have an app, but you would need somebody to control that. So somebody has to basically be the game master and they're not part of the puzzle, which means somebody's not having fun if you don't use the app. But it is possible for all those people who don't like the technology uh, getting in the way of their games. So the basic idea of the game is you are, I don't even know the theme. It's its kind of random. You're on some planet. You're trying to unlock these rune gates or something and escape. I don't quite get it, but it's sci-fi. All the characters are very sci-fi. You have your human and then your space warrior and your robot dude and your wise old sage. So all the stuff you'd expect. It's all Vincent Detroit art, so it looks very nice. There's a couple places where that falls down a little bit. The character cards in particular, it's the same on every character card. Kind of needs to be because of how you use them, but still, you know, opportunity for more art missed. But the basic idea of the game is you're going to set up a puzzle at the beginning with four of these runes. There are six of them, I believe, total in the game. And so you're going to have four of them at the top, and then you're going to take a picture, and the app is going to basically give a random puzzle of four different runes in those four locations and you have to figure out what they are you're going to play character cards to move around the map and to unlock um, different clues every time you get four cubes collected you can take another guess at the uh, the pattern so you're going to swap tiles around and move them and try new things and then collect those cubes check it and see if you got it right um, at the same time while you're collecting those things to check on your pattern you are also going to have to fight off these monsters. The monsters each have a number of red moons on them. And so when a red moon card comes out of the deck, uh, similar to an epidemic card in Pandemic, you are going to move this eclipse track down. If it gets all the way down to the bottom, you lose the game. And there's not a lot of spots here. So if you ignore the bad guys for too long, and let's say like five of those moons get out, you probably will just lose right away. Uh, so you've got to control those things don't take the bonus cards too quickly. They're powerful, but when you take them, they're probably going to be replaced by a monster, which is going to make it more likely for you to lose. Um, it seems you get about three or four guesses in this game before you lose. So you do have to kind of figure out the puzzle relatively quickly. There's a bit of an element of luck too. Like if you just happen to swap the right things in and maybe start the game with two that are in the right location, then, you know, it's going to be a little bit easier to find the other two. But it is very much a deduction game. So you are you have to keep track of what is what. It does come with all these little tiles so you can mark whether 
Um, the app will tell you if uh, you know certain runes are in the puzzle at all, if they're in the puzzle but in the wrong spot, if they're in the puzzle but in the right spot, all these different things. So you have multiple different possible permutations, and so you can kind of map it out that way. Um, it's fun. I I like puzzles. I like these kind of deduction games. It plays relatively quickly too, and you can scale the difficulty. So all of that is pretty cool. The funny thing about it, of course, is that it feels like this. Not it's not a big production. It comes in a smallish box, but it feels like a bigger production than it needs to be, considering what it is. You know, there's plenty of apps that kind of have similar deduction type stuffs in them. It's really just a code breaking game, but the production is very pretty. Everything looks very nice. The artwork is fantastic. You know, it comes with these little standees instead of miniatures, but that keeps the price down, so I don't have a problem with that. And overall, I mean, I think if you like puzzle games, if you like co-ops, and you like the style of artwork, it's worth checking out. It's not the best co-op I've ever played. Uh, it's not the best puzzle game I've ever played, but it everything is well polished and works well within the construct. So I would definitely give um, you know Rising a play. It's worth, worth checking out. So definitely uh, try that one out if you're interested in this confluence of different mechanics. <laughs> confluence, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I remember seeing the box cover for this and being very intrigued. It's, it's not usual to see sci-fi games at least with this kind of art aesthetic and once i heard it was a co-op i was like eh. and then like you said there's a whole bunch of different elements that kind of like they're not very elegant in their application and that kind of pushed me away from this do you think an expansion might fix this up a little bit better later on yeah i mean i'm this was originally a Kickstarter, and I think two years ago at this point, and there were some Kickstarter exclusive cards that act as um, expansions of sorts. There are different kinds of monsters, uh, some crisis cards uh, to mix things up, trap cards. None of that is in this right now, So, and it says Kickstarter exclusive, but it is a different publisher, so I'm not really sure what they would do on that front. Uh, we'd have to talk to you know, um, Gray Fox about that, but sure, it is definitely ripe for that kind of um upgrade you know it's a, it's a funny game because i feel like if you're gonna go to all the trouble to make this big card game have all this beautiful artwork just go the whole nine yards you know it's already a little overproduced but not super overproduced so throw the miniatures in there throw a bunch of extra cards in there throw some other game modes in there um and it doesn't have all that so there's certainly room for it um and i would certainly like to see it because i do enjoy the game and i think it's a solid base that you could build on um, but at the moment, it really is just kind of a code-breaking puzzle with a lot of pretty pieces. And if you want a pretty code-breaker, <laughs> here you go. But it's, you know, it's not mind-blowing by any means. Sure. All right, well, a game that I got to table recently is an expansion for a game that I'm a big fan of. That game is Rococo. Now, Rococo is a game by Matthias Kramer, Louis Miles, and Stefan Miles. And it's all about creating dresses and suit coats in this beautiful, lavish period what I really do enjoy about this game so much is not just the production, which is very nice, but also the deck building and the hand management that comes along with this game. It's all about utilizing these different professionals, these journeymen, these apprentices and masters. They all have different abilities. You start with a basic hand. Everyone gets that basic hand. And then based on what you play, you still have to play the rest of the cards in your deck. Now, there's ways to dispute these people, send them off from your employment, pick up resources and different fabrics and silk and lace and all these other threads and things. But basically, the hand management and the deck play is fantastic here. Now, with the expansion, Rococo Jewelry Box, 
basically what you're getting here is a bunch of modules that come into the game that really add so much to the game. Now, last week, as we talked about, we talked about what games absolutely positively need an expansion. Well, Rokoku didn't absolutely positively need one, but it definitely could have used one because like a lot of the Uwe Rosenberg games, it had the set final victory point bonus cards that came out each and every game. Now, they came out either a little bit earlier or later, but they always did come out. Now, it didn't break the game. The game was still fantastic. But the first thing that Jewelry Box does, it adds more bonus cards to the end of the game. So once again, that really opens the game up. You're not exactly sure what's going to come up, and it just allows you more options for final victory points. But that's not all that comes with this game, because there's also opportunities to pick up those extra bonus point cards, which are master cards, by actually training your apprentices up to journeymen and then your journeymen up to masters. So you'll actually have an opportunity to go through that small deck of extra masters and pick out those cards that you want. So it's not always a press to get the card off the line, but it's also training your people up so that you can also go through this very small deck, pick out the right card that's working for you, and that's feels really great when you're playing a game. Now, as you're training your professionals, you'll be able to bring them up to a new level and gain them special abilities. So now you have new cards, journeymen and, and apprentices that will come into your hand that will give you additional abilities and benefit you, not with just the base game, but also with this extra expansion. Now, the jewelry box part of this is the fact that you can craft jewelry. So just like the rest of the board, there are decorations that you'll be able to fund. And when you fund a decoration, you'll be able to purchase jewelry at the time that you create a dress. So you create a dress and of course you want jewelry to go with it or a suit coat, same thing. So if you create a men's suit coat that's in blue and you happen to purchase a blue ring, then you'll be able to score extra fabric because you did a great job. That ring will score you additional money each and every round. And that just adds a lot more to the game. So now you're generating more money. It offers a new mechanic to the game. And if you don't match the jewelry with the dress or the suit coat, don't worry. You're still going to get the victory points for that. You're still going to get the money generation, but you're just not going to get the extra fabric for the game. This jewelry box expansion adds a lot to the game. And there is one final addition, which is something I really do like, is everyone gets a special bonus card. Now, beforehand... No one got those special victory point cards until the very end of the game. At the very beginning of the game, you'll get a special bonus card that if you meet the special conditions, you'll be able to put your hand immediately. What I really like about Rococo is there's so many ways to score victory points, so many ways to claim victory, and now it just makes that game much more vibrant as far as all the different things you can do, all the different paths to victory. It's an outstanding game. And I'm going to give Rococo Jewelry Box the expansion a buy. I still need to play this. It's not Rococo's, but like you've been talking about it for years, and I'm just like, I gotta play that game. It's a great game. It's 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 really nice to have a, a game that you know utilizes the card and the deck play mechanic in a, in a different way. It's kind of like Mombasa, but not as hard and heavy. It's just managing that deck, getting rid of cards, and having to play the rest of your hand, and just thinking ahead. Really, really great game. All right. So speaking about great games, let's get on to our Kickstarters. Some of the best and also some of the worst. Now, you may remember back, I was doing Kick in the Habit, and I was talking about everything related to Kickstarter, which games to avoid and which games to buy in on. 
So we've been kickstarting games for quite some time, right, Anthony? Yes, yes, probably since right when we started the Kickstarter. I think the first time I uh, I backed one. Yeah, Kickstarter has been a big part of board gaming, and it's only expanded. Obviously, now it's become like this megalith. I mean, board gaming has been the vast majority of the big kind of campaign goals. I mean, Exploding Kittens made eight million dollars. Scythe made like buckets of money for a independent board game IP. It's really just defined so much of what board gaming has kind of grown into. And I, I guess there was a lot of, you know, calls for doom and gloom, at least very early on, that Kickstarter was going to be the end of board gaming, that all these campaigns were going to fail. There was going to be some great scandals that were going to just shake board gaming to the bone. And there's been some games that did fail and did fall through. So for this episode, we want to talk about our two best and our two worst so, Anthony, why don't you start us off with a little misery at the point. Why don't you tell us about one of your worst? Okay. I've I've been lucky. I've yet to have, like, a complete and utter failure uh, of a Kickstarter campaign. Like, something that didn't deliver or showed up broken or didn't get funded or whatever. But, thankfully, in the board gaming realm, those aren't super common. Uh, but there's been a couple of games that were just thoroughly disappointing for various reasons. And I think the first one of those, uh, for me at least, was Mesmora, Dungeons of Arcadia. This is a game that, upon further reflection, I, I found that it was really just this basic dice game that they'd rethemed with the Arcadia Quest um, characters and world. And then they threw in the miniatures, um, which were not entirely needed since the game is, you know, all the monsters are dice. And they made them compatible with Arcadia Quest. That should have been the first red flag that the game probably wasn't very good because they were trying to get people who had the other stuff to buy it, which is exactly what I did. Me yeah. too. Played the game a couple times, was thoroughly bored by how easy it was, took all the miniatures out, threw them in my Arcadia Quest box, tossed this thing in the closet and haven't seen it since. So it's it's not that it was a bad campaign. It was a typical Simon campaign where lots of extra stuff, horrible communication, game showed up a couple months late, whatever. But the game itself was... I'm not going to say it was a con because we all knew that this is what it was, but sure. I can imagine some people didn't. And I don't know. It just, it feels like a bit of a cash in to use one of your IPs to deliver a subpar game. That's not really the same as what people are expecting. Yeah. Same here. I was basically backing it for the Arcadia quest miniatures. And I kind of rationalized it as that. That being said, I was hoping for a good game and yeah, it, it was really disappointing, not to mention the fact that the game did come late. Simon's usually great at this, and it did have that kind of suspect feel as far as like, hey, this is Arcadia Quest, Arcadia Quest, Arcadia Quest. No, it's really a dice game that's really kind of light and boring. You're not really going to enjoy this, so just... Yeah, and the, the tough thing, too, is like usually if you get a Simon a game that you don't like, like I didn't really like Massive Darkness, but a lot of people do, so I sold it. I didn't lose any money on that. This game, because I took the miniatures out, like, I can't sell it now. It's just this box of cards sure. I'm not going to do anything with. Uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, one of my earliest Kickstarter tragedies was Belfort the Expansion Expansion. And I think this was either one of my first or second Kickstarting-backed projects. Now, I really did enjoy Belfort. It's a great worker placement game. It does run a little too long for what it is, and the AP really kind of breaks down players. So when there was expansion coming out, I was really excited because I was hoping that the expansion would fix the base game. And this expansion particularly was offering 
things along the lines of like special player powers and it was supposed to add a little bit more to the game now this was a little while back so this was when games really needed support in order to come out now there was a lot of problems with this now in particular right off the bat there was very little communication and that kind of led people to be kind of wondering if this expansion would actually back if people's money would actually pay out and then once they started releasing information about the different characters that were going to be coming out people who were backing the campaign were asking if there could be any female characters added to the expansion and there was a lot of pushback from this and from the community there and there was nobody really moderating that kind of you know exchange and the people who were producing the game at taste mental games weren't really supportive of things like that and then eventually they did come out with some characters and then there was some more controversy because one character of the two i believe that was being released was a character that some people felt was a little too exposed to be in this type of game and was asking you know maybe you can tone it down maybe the female character doesn't have to be falling out of her dress kind of deal and once again there was another raging kind of controversy with that and there was also problems with the expansion itself as far as what they were offering in addition to the expansion which was very little it came out late. I think two weeks later, you could pick it up for, I think, 7 or $8 cheaper than what they were offering it for. So there was a lot of problems. It's been the only campaign that I canceled of all of the campaigns that I backed so far. And it was just a really terrible, terrible experience. That was Belfort, the expansion expansion. All right, Anthony, give us your second kind of lousy Kickstarter backing situation. Like I said, I don't have any, like, actual campaigns like that Belfort one sounded horrible I don't have any actual campaigns that I you know I was part of that were just the worst but there was one game that I was decently excited for and it just completely fell off the map for me for a variety of reasons I mean first off it was the first of three Martian games released in a year Um, this is Martians a story of civilization it released on Kickstarter I think right before Gen Con when Terraforming Mars was released so kind of got blended in with that and then there was first martians which came out you know about a year after that and so in terms of like a kickstarter campaign it was fine i mean they had a lot of extra stuff they added on a bunch of game modes the game wasn't really late uh, in terms of delivery just a little bit again not super late the problem was is that there was really a lack of clear communication in terms of like the rule book you didn't really have a lot of information on what that looked like or what how it was going to read and it When it was finally revealed, it was borderline unusable to the point they had to not just revise it, but almost completely rewrite it and add all these addendums to it to make it usable. So the version I have in my box, I can't really learn the game (laughs) effectively. It also comes with multiple game modes. Not all of them really work. It just hadn't been fully play tested out. And this is really like one of those situations of a game where I don't know if they had all this stuff planned before the campaign or not, but sometimes you get into a campaign and you can tell the developers are like let's just add more stuff it'll be great we'll figure it out as we go and it just breaks the game somehow or just makes it so it's not fully play tested or the rules don't really reflect it and that's the worst is when you have a game that maybe did work or maybe can work on its own and then you just pile a bunch of stuff on top of it and kind of weigh it down and since that one i have now refused to back any game where i can't read the rule book up front because I want to know that I can A, learn it easily, B, understand what I'm supposed to do, 
and C, be part of that conversation if either of those things is broken to make sure they're going to fix it before I get the game. I think it's possible to get this game now and play it and it works and the, the rules are fine and they fixed all that. Um, Component-wise, everything looks fine. It's just the path to getting there was a bit of a headache and it's to the point where I just I really haven't pulled this thing out and, and figured it out yet because it just wasn't worth it. And there was other Mars-based games I liked more. So that was my second one. All right, well, my second one was not a board game, but Cardboard Clothing, Apparel for the Modern Board Gamer. Now, this was something we talked about on the podcast quite some time ago, and it was this great, interesting idea about having shirts, having sweatshirts, having even ties that were all board game themed. Now, this is more of a commonality these days, but back when this campaign came back, I think it was about 2015, shirts were pretty uh, few and far between to come by. Now, this campaign really kind of hit a lot of the Eurogame shirts. I was really interested in it. I backed the full package on this, and so did a lot of people. And this backed early. They made a lot of money off this. And then they stopped communicating at all. There was no communication whatsoever on the campaign page. And there were talk or gossip or inside information that the co-owners were having some personal issues between themselves and that kind of spilled out as far as the company's concerned and then people weren't getting their clothing sent to them or their ties or their sweatshirts or anything not only were things delayed greatly but they just weren't being received at all now from my own particular order which i did go through the full backing it was sent to me much much months later and on top of which, it was sent with uh, a COD, cash on delivery. So not only was I stuck with a late package, but I also was stuck with an extra bill. And then I had to go try to go back and communicate with the campaign, trying to figure out what's going on, why I was being charged, all this additional shipping, which should have been part of the campaign. So on top of which, I don't know if this happened to everybody else, but it was an additional charge on top of the original charge which was pretty high to begin with, but like everything else, we wanted to help this new company get board gaming out to a new community. So that was another really, really unfortunate situation with cardboard clothing, apparel for the modern board gamer. Man, your nightmares are way worse than mine. Shoot. They're pretty <laughs> bad there, man. All right, let's get on to some nice stuff. Let's get on to some of the great campaigns that you backed. So Anthony, let's, let's bring some sunshine into the room. What do you got for us? Yeah, I was pretty... I mean, there's a lot of games on my list. I'm going through it and I was like, there's a lot of games here where I, I either didn't love it or it's just kind of fallen to the back of the closet. But there was nothing I was like, oh, this is the worst thing ever. But there was a lot of really good games in there. Shoot, my like top four games for 2018 were all from Kickstarter. One of which I didn't back, but they were all originally from Kickstarter. So it's gotten really good and there's a lot of good content. So I wanted to find a couple that aren't like Gloomhaven or Anachrony or Spirit Island, you know, the big, big ones. And the first one, going way back to my early backing days, is Baseball Highlights 2045. Um, this is from Mike Fitzgerald, and the in terms of a campaign, it was great. There was a lot of extra content added. You know, Eagle Griffin's not always great at their campaigns, but this one was fine from start to finish. I had no issues. And then when the game arrived, it was this little gem that no one had heard of. It didn't back a ton of money, I don't think. And it was just it's fantastic. You know, it's kind of this... It, for a while, I'd say cult hit, but now it's become even more, you know, of a, a bigger game, and a lot of people know it. And it's 
great, you know, for small player counts. It's good for like a quick tournament. It's a good solo game. They're, now they're looking at doing a football highlights uh, version of this. So it's kind of growing into, on, into its own little thing. And it's maintained a place on my shelf for, you know, a good four years now, which for any Kickstarter game is impressive. So I was very happy with how that one turned out and that I got in so early on it. All right, well, a campaign that I backed that looked like it was going to be the worst campaign at all, but actually turned around and was actually fantastic was Small World 2, which was actually a campaign that was canceled, I would say, about a third of the way through. Now, this was way back when. This was from Days of Wonder, when they were Days of Wonder before the Asmo Day. And they were trying to release a brand new video game for the iPad. And it looked great. And they already had done production on it. And they already sh were showing videos of it. And Days of Wonder was already known for their great production, both digital and board gaming. And Small World was a great game. Now, on top of which, they had a whole bunch of different backing goals for additional things you could pick up, including these rare collectible editions that would cost $8,500 each which was a uniquely detailed, large-scale model, 3D, hand-painted version of Small World. But the, the designers felt like this really wasn't the campaign that they wanted, and they were listening to the backers, saying that, that they wanted to have more Small World, but a $9,000 version probably was, <laughs> or definitely was, kind of uh, you know, a ship too far. So they wanted something that they could have and also be able to back the video game. So they relaunched the campaign. It was called Small World 2 The Return, came out with the video game, came out with some additional pieces that you could play with the game. So there was additional special abilities and races and extra boards you could play with. And it also had a collector's edition at a pretty reasonable $320 that you could back that gave you like beautiful pieces, everything in wood, fantastic case. And it was just, it was a really nice community moment where everyone was kind of giving suggestions and ideas and supporting the campaign and the people who are producing everything were listening and they changed everything this campaign had over seven thousand backers i personally picked up the special edition which i love and uh in the end everybody was really happy with it so that was small world 2 the return all right anthony what do you got for your last best pick Alrighty, so last one i wanted to talk about is a game that i almost dropped a couple times it's called lune architects and it's more or less a re-implementation or reimagining of glenmore which is a great little euro that we both love that has been out of print forever so it's hard to find and you, you can't really get the game so this particular designer there was a whole big kerfuffle on BGG about whether he had the rights or didn't, or the designer said it was okay or didn't say it was okay for him to take the design and kind of revamp it. And so the game is rather similar, you know, to Glenmore. You have the the circular board, you have the tiles, you're building at a tableau, but he does make a lot of very interesting changes. Um, instead of squares, you now have hexes. You'll have extra resources. There's little rocket ships that you'll be using to as kind of launching and utilizing these different resources. The way they interact with each other is a little bit different. It has a great solo mode that's been tacked on. It's a great little production, and yet it has not been picked up by anyone for future production or anything. Like, looking back on BGG, he says, basically, the game is done unless someone else wants to publish it because he doesn't have enough money to print it again, doesn't want to do another Kickstarter, and he's out of copies. So it's a game that, you know, other than this kind of 
bubbling discontent among some people um, in the comments. It was he, he was very communicative, lots of updates, graphically interesting updates. So it wasn't just, you know, boring piece of text every month or two, but lots of information about the game as it developed. The new stuff added on and kind of revising and growing on the game as it was developing in the campaign. And in the end result is really nice. And I'm glad I have it. And I know that it will not be possible to get otherwise in the future. So in lieu of Glenmore ever getting a reprint, I have Lunar Architects, and I'm glad I do. Yeah, I played this as well. I really did enjoy it. I'm sorry I didn't back it myself, but as you said, it was a little tenuous at the time, but I don't know, maybe one day it'll come out in the print, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, just someone needs to pick it up. I mean, it's it's already solid enough production quality. It doesn't need any updates. It just needs to be printed. Sure. All right, well, my last greatest campaign, it's kind of hard to pick from. It backed a lot of great games. Sometimes they were a little too expensive. Sometimes they came with... Eh, a little bit underproduced, but one campaign, and how could I not mention it, that really kind of blew the roof off of pretty much everything was Scythe. Now, Anthony and I had a great opportunity to talk with Jamie Steckmeyer just before he produced this campaign. And if you know anything about Jamie Steckmeyer, he's kind of the king of Kickstarter as far as uh, board gaming is concerned. He really understands what people are looking for as far as the campaign's concerned. He understands stretch goals, how to roll them out, how to keep in contact with everyone, producing videos, producing content for the media to get that information out. And in the end, producing a fantastic game. The production quality is top-notch. The artwork is outstanding. Probably the best artwork we've probably seen in board gaming. And the theme... Everything that came along with the game, the the miniatures, the wood meeples, the coins, just a fantastic production. I I backed this at the uh, the art connoisseur level, so I actually got a really beautiful hardcover, full color book of all the artwork that comes with this game. Really enjoyed this campaign. Really enjoyed watching it each and every step. Remember looking each and every day to see if it passed a new stretch goal. Really did enjoy this. That's Scythe. My uh, top pick for my best kickstarter game yeah yeah i mean i'm way up there with you man i was backer number three on this thing i was (laughs) so psyched for it and it is like if you're gonna say what is the best game that you own from kickstarter this is probably it sure you know it definitely would be on my list as well if it hadn't been on yours all right so that's everything for this week until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save you all a seat at the table